Well, good morning. Welcome, and thanks for joining us. We're in a series that we're calling Fake News. And in the series, we're looking at some expressions, phrases, or sayings that a lot of people think are in the Bible, but are not actually there. So, so far in this series, we've looked at God helps those who help themselves. We've looked at God won't give people more than they can handle. And it kind of seems like that those things touch on a little bit of what the Bible says, but they miss the main point. The Bible repeatedly says that God is with us when we can't help ourselves, and God will get us out of situations that there's no way we can deliver ourselves from. We also looked at the main goal in life is not to be happy. I know lots of people believe that God wants us to be happy. Maximum happiness is the plan, but that's not true. There are more important things than our individual happiness, and the Bible speaks clearly to those things. We also looked at expectations. On Palm Sunday, we looked at some of the expectations that people had of Jesus. They wanted him to deliver them from Roman oppression. They wanted him to continue their religious structure exactly the way it was. But as usual, Jesus doesn't fit or meet their expectations too well. And then on Easter Sunday, we looked at the fake news that a lot of people believe that Easter is either a holiday that never really happened, there was no resurrection, or that Easter soft news, just a metaphor for hope in springtime, when actually the Bible says the resurrection's real news that changes everything. Well, this morning, we're coming to a bit of fake news that I'm sure most, if not all of you have heard, and that is money is the root of all evil. Now, it's appropriate that we're going to talk about money right now in our circumstance dealing with COVID-19. The virus started as a medical problem, and then quickly it was a medical and financial problem as the world shut down in order to deal with the medical problem. And now we're being told that the financial difficulties will linger long after the vaccine and long after the medical problem has been dealt with. So it's appropriate for us to talk about money. And in case you haven't realized it, the Bible has a lot to say about money. I read this past week that the Bible has over 3,200 verses on money. Obviously, we don't have time to look at all of those this morning. In fact, we're not even going to scratch the surface on what the Bible says, but we are going to try to look at that fake news, money's the root of all evil, and let's see if we can tweak it and bring into line what the Bible does say, at least on a superficial level, about money. Well, first of all, let's talk about context. And in case you never noticed this before, money's the root of all evil, that phrase actually does appear in the Bible. And so in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 10, we read these words, money is a root of all kinds of evil. Now, we need to make one little grammatical correction. The Bible doesn't say that money is the root of all evil, but right here in 1 Timothy 6, it says, money is a root of all kinds of evil. There's no definite article. There's no the that comes before the root, but money is a root of all kinds of evil. In fact, if you're a Bible reader, you know there are lots of roots of evil, and those things can capture our attention and our focus in a variety of ways. Money is one of those. Now, how does that work out? Well, the Bible kind of has a paradoxical view 
when it comes to money. For example, the Bible does give us some warnings about money that cause some people to perpetuate that fake news. So here's a verse from Mark chapter 10. A really rich guy comes up to Jesus, and here's what he says. Jesus, can you tell me how I can get, how I can have, how I can inherit eternal life? And here's what Jesus says at the end of the encounter. One thing you lack, go, sell everything you have, give to the poor, you will have treasure in heaven, then come follow me. Boy, it kind of sounds like if you read that account, that Jesus is saying, having lots of stuff is bad. There's a summarizing verse that comes after that account, a little further down in Mark 10, where Jesus says, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. It seems like Jesus is saying, not just possessions are bad, but that being rich is bad. But that's not all that the Bible says. The Bible also gives us example after example of very wealthy followers of God. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Solomon, David, people that had incredible wealth. They're never condemned. God never says to them, you have to sell all of your possessions in order to follow me. The Bible seems to present two different views on the same subject. Maybe we uh, could say it this way. The Bible always presents money as being morally neutral. Money itself is not good and it's not bad in and of itself. Money can be viewed and possessed and prioritized in a bad way or in a good way, but money itself is neutral. You know, throughout church history, some people have adopted the view that uh, they want to follow up on that Mark 10 idea and so they're going to give possessions away. So we have people that have taken vows of poverty, Mother Teresa, St. Francis, other th others through the years. And we have a tendency to kind of put them on a pedestal and wonder if that's not only a God's plan for them, but is it God's plan for us too? Well, if money is, nor is uh, morally neutral, there are two perspectives, two ends of the continuum that we have to avoid. The one end of the continuum is the prosperity gospel. Now you may hear some guys on television late at night and they would be prosperity gospel preachers. The prosperity gospel goes like this. The closer you follow after God, the more tenaciously you commit to him, the more stuff you'll have, the more possessions, the more wealth. The good life brings a good life. So if you live a really good life, you will have a great life with lots and lots of stuff. But that's not always true. In fact, Jesus doesn't seem to fit that model at all. Jesus lived the best life, and it looks like he kind of got the worst life. So the prosperity gospel can't be right. But on the other end of, end of the continuum, the poverty gospel isn't the biblical message either. The poverty gospel is that the poorer you are, maybe the more faithful you are, the more dedicated you are. Let me read a quote that comes from Dallas Willard that I think needs to be heard in our context today. The idealization of poverty is one of the most dangerous illusions of Christians in the contemporary world. Money is morally neutral. 
And you shouldn't be living at the prosperity end or at the poverty end. Both of those perspectives are at, the, or at opposite extremes that are actually outside of the biblical perspective. Well, let's go back to our um, passage again in 1 Timothy 6. And let's see if we can make the context a little bigger. Because even though the phrase appears, money's a root of all kinds of evil, you're actually taking a phrase out of the sentence. If we were to read the whole sentence together as we should, here's what we read. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. And that helps clarify a whole bunch of examples and bring into proper, proper perspective all that paradoxical stuff that the Bible seems to present. In fact, let's follow our own advice and not just read the verse, but let's read the verse in its context in 1 Timothy 6. But godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. But if I have food and clothing, we will be content with that, Those who want to get rich fall into a temptation and a trap, into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and have pierced themselves with many griefs. Now notice, if we read the bigger context, it's not money itself, it's the love of money. It's a heart problem that makes money a negative thing. So even in the bigger context, here's what we read. People that want to get rich, people that love money, people that are eager for money, that's the heart issue underneath money that makes it so destructive. Jesus says a very similar thing in Luke chapter 12. He says, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed Life does not consist in in an abundance of possessions. Again, Jesus is getting to the idea, the heart attitudes, the priority, the love underneath the particular outworking and how money operates. Money's a really good test that we can look at and see what's going on underneath our lives that will help us get perspective and help us be able to live more faithfully, money can be viewed as a window into our heart. Money can be a glimpse under the soil into the root of what's happening inside of us. Well, rather than just end with that cursory look at what uh, the Bible has to say about money, I want to mention a few uh, questions. And I'm going to ask you to do the really hard work of not just hearing me ask the question and talk a little bit about it, Would you have the courage to actually take the three questions and ask them to yourself? And when this message is over, after the video's done, sometime later today, think about the questions and see if you can learn something about your inner workings by wrestling with your answers to the questions that grow right from our passage. The first question that grows out of the passage is, are you content with what God has given you? Have you ever noticed that comparison breeds non-content? We become not content when we look at other people. Picture it this way. There are things that we hold in our hand, that we have, that we own, 
There are things that we see that we do not possess. I don't know about you. I can be very happy, super pleased with what I have until I see something someone else has. You know, there are lots of examples through my life that I could give, but the one I kept thinking of this week, I had a friend when I was in college. He came from a pretty wealthy family, and every year he would come back to school with a brand new car. Now, I had a car. It wasn't new. It was old when I got it, and it was older still by the time I finished school. But every year, he would come with a new car. My car ran fine, but his car was new. It had that smell. It had all the bells and whistles. And comparison bred discontent in my heart. And that discontent caused me to envy, caused me to want, caused me to want to step up and have what I didn't have. It doesn't only happen with cars. Do you look at your bank account and wonder what's in somebody else's? Are you content with what God's given in in a spouse, in your kids, in your job, in your house? Or do you spend time looking and focusing on what you see with your eyes rather than what you hold with your hands? Are you content with what God has given? You know, one of the things that the Bible repeatedly says is that God gives us lots and lots of things in order for us to enjoy them, not to make them our gods, not to focus our attention on them, but to thank him for them, for them, the good giver behind all of those great gifts. But we can't enjoy what we have if we're longing for what we do not have. You know, how often do you have the uh, Christmas syndrome, right? You know what your kids are like or were like at Christmas? Christmas morning, they think they'll be content forever. But after a week or so, they no longer are content with their toys, with their gifts, what they have. They're longing for something else. Contentment only lasts a season. Are you content? Well, the way you're going to be content is not to focus on what's in your hand or not to focus on what you see with your eyes, but to focus on God, the one that's given you all that you have. Let's learn to be content by focusing on God, the gracious, loving giver who gives us much more than we deserve, much more than we could ever earn. I want to ask you another question. And that is, do you share what God has given you? Do you hoard it or do you share it? It says in that passage from Timothy, that we need to be sharers of the good that God has given to us. In fact, at the end of 1 Timothy chapter 6, Paul even makes that point uh, more strongly. He says in verse uh, 17, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. So there we are again. Are you content and are you enjoying what God has given? And you can't enjoy it if you're focusing on what you don't have. And then do you share what God has given or do you keep it all to yourself? You know, there are really two different uh, investment policies, two different uh, metaphors. Now, one metaphor kind of works like this. The more we have, the more we get, the more we, we retain, the more we have. And that makes perfect sense. The math, the math equation works perfectly. So for example, if I have 10 $1 bills, 
and I give one away, which doesn't mean that much. I now have nine. I give one, I have less. I have nine rather than 10. If I have 10 $10 bills and I give one away, I have less. I have 90 instead of 100. If I have 10 $100 bills and I give one away, it's a little more difficult now, right? I have less. If I give away, I always have less. I always have less. That's kind of the mathematical view of our finances. The Bible, however, presents us with a, with a slightly different view. In fact, the Bible says things like this. Give, and it will be given to you. The Bible says, sow, so that you will, those who sow sparingly will reap sparingly, but those who sow generously will reap generously. Notice the metaphor shifts. I'm not sure when it happened, but one day, long, a long, long time ago, People move from traveling around and gathering what they would eat to settling down and planting. And that was a radical change. Can you imagine how weird it would have sounded the first time? If we live in a gathering culture, we gather. And if we gather a handful of grain, we gather some seeds into our hands. Well, if we give some away, we have less. And so we keep them and we consume them. Well, one day a guy comes along and says, hey, I got a great idea. Give me some of your grain, give me some of your seed, and I'm going to bury it in the ground. My guess is the people thought he was a fool, and maybe some reluctantly gave him some. But what happened? He planted it in the ground, and their few seeds became a bigger crop. That's the metaphor the Bible uses. Are you following the farming metaphor, or are you following the mathematical formula? I'm afraid that most of us follow the mathematical formula. I have 10, and if I give one away, I have less. But if we follow the agricultural metaphor, I have seed, but if I plant some, if I give some, if I sow generously, I will reap generously. Now, please don't misunderstand me. I'm not advocating what you may hear on one of those late night um, televangelist shows that we've got to sow a seed by sending money. The Bible never says the currency with which it will be returned to you. Maybe we sow financially and we get something back relationally. Maybe we sow relationally and get something back financially. God controls the currency. But make no mistake, God is no one's debtor and he doesn't want us to follow the mathematical formula of trying to keep, because if we give, we have less. Follow the biblical metaphor that if we give, God will give to us. God sits sovereignly above this whole process, and he calls us to generously give, and God will then return to us. Let's follow the agricultural model, not the mathematical model. So how are you doing on the two? Are you content with what God has given and enjoying what God has given? And do you share what God has given you? Well, one last question I want to ask. What is your greatest love? Did you notice underneath the problem with money is those who are eager to get rich, those who love money, those who want more. The problem is our desire, our love underneath. And here's how money fools us and how money can be so deceptive. Money lies. Because whether you're a saver or a spender, money promises 
what it can't deliver. Money promises security. That's why we spend so much time collecting, saving, putting it into retirement. And boy, what are you thinking when you look at the market these days and you see what's happening to your investments? But we do that. We invest, we save, nothing wrong with that. The Bible encourages all of that. But we do that. The temptation is that we'll find our security in our wealth, but we're only secure if we're trusting and resting in God. The other thing that money can um, promise but never deliver is significance. The savers tend to uh, fall into the temptation of seeking security in their money. The spenders seem to fall into into the temptation of seeking significance. So you get a new wardrobe, you get a new car, you get a new cell phone, you're always upgrading your technology, upgrade, 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 so that people will look at you. You may wow them. They may put you on a pedestal. You feel good about yourself, and they, and they feel good about you. They're applauding you. You're getting all their accolades. But the Bible again says, ultimate security and ultimate significance are only found in the gospel. They're only found in Jesus. If this whole um, pandemic has shown us anything, it's that our finances can be taken from us and disappear more quickly than any of us can imagine. In a day, in a week, they can all be gone. But Jesus promises to be with us, not just for our little stint on earth, but forever and ever. If you're building your life on him and his promises, his death on your behalf, his resurrection to prove that he has forgiven you and now he's with you forever, that security and that significance never, ever ends. One of the things that comes up in 1 Timothy chapter 6 a couple of times is that your money will leave you or one day you're going to leave your money. But one thing is for sure, you're not taking it with you. Bobby Clinton used to be a a teacher at a Fuller Seminary in California. Bobby used to give his classes an assignment. Maybe this would be a good assignment for us these days. As the pandemic reminds us of the fleeting nature of wealth and the pandemic reminds us death that one day awaits every one of us, Bobby's assignment was, what would you like written on your tombstone? And what would you like said at your funeral? I was thinking about that assignment and thinking about uh, what's said at funerals a lot this past week. And here's what I've discovered. I've been to funerals of people that didn't have much at all. And I've been to funerals of people that had lots and lots of this world's goods. But one thing was the same. Possessions and money don't get much play at funeral services. Maybe if you give money away to benefit people That'll get some play. But I've never heard anyone's bank account numbers read at a funeral. I've never heard anyone's retirement. I never heard anybody's um, estate um, objectives or all, all, all that they're leaving read at a funeral service. But I have lots of people stand at funerals. I have heard lots of people stand and say how the person has impacted their lives. You know, on that day, 
It's not going to be how much we've accumulated. It's not going to be how much we've spent and whether we've found our significance and what in the possessions we have. It's going to be, are we right with our family? Were we good friends? And are we right with our Creator through our Savior, Jesus Christ? Maybe it's a good thing for us to think about now. If that's what we want the destination to be, maybe we should live with the end in view. How can we live in a way that we'll have no regrets on that day? And how can we live in a way that answers these questions in a way that would honor God and benefit people? Are you content with what God's given? And are you enjoying what God's given? Do you share what God has given? And what's your greatest love? Look underneath your habits with possessions and money and see what's driving those behaviors and those attitudes. If money's a window to our souls, maybe what's underneath needs to be changed. The sooner, the better. Will you join me as we pray? Father, we give you thanks for the things that you've given. Lord, thanks for the possessions that we have, whether they're many or whether they're few. Thanks for the resources that you've given each one of us of varying amounts. Lord, I pray that you would help us all to ask the right questions so that inside our attitudes, our priorities, our sound. Lord, help us to wrestle with contentment, knowing that true security and significance will never be found in possessions and in the amount of money we have. Lord, help us to live generous lives, knowing that you've given generously to us, and in turn now we need to live generous lives, giving to others. Help us to practice that agricultural principle when it comes to finance, rather than the mathematical principle only. And help us to use money, to look underneath what we do, to see what we're really loving. And Lord, help us to realize that if Jesus is our ultimate love, then we'll give thanks for what he's given. We'll be content with what he's given. We'll share what he has given. But we'll thank him for the gifts. Love him as the giver. We pray in his name.